This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm Gabby Barr, joined by Mr. Greg Crumpton. Greg, how are you doing? Gabby, I'm doing great. Uh, beautiful. I'm looking out the window this morning. Sun is out. It's uh, 43 degrees and just absolutely beautiful down here in the beautiful state of South Carolina. And uh, it's MLK Day. So, like, I'm, you know, thinking that half the people aren't working and half the people are. Um, so we're all doing what we like to do, which is having a podcast. And uh, we got a really cool guest today. The coolest. Today we have Chris Gutkus with us, and we're going to talk about um, a lot of the stuff that's a recurring theme on the show, I hope, which is customer service. We talk about how we differentiate ourselves, what giving a crap really means, and, and how people all tie into that. So, Chris, welcome to Straight out of Crumpton. Uh, glad to have you this morning. Thanks a lot, Greg. I really appreciate it. I love the name. Very clever. Uh, I am a, a child of 90s rap, so I get it. I love it. Well, um, a friend of mine uh, who's who's a has been a contributor to the show gave me that name, and I'm like, man, this is so cool. And then I got a couple of T-shirts with, you know, people sending them, so it's fun. We have a good time with it, and uh, it, it's not as forgettable maybe as some other names. So. Yeah, it sticks. You know, Chris, I'll listen to a guy, and I've used his line before, Mitch Joel. He's a, he's a good guy and an author who I like. And he always starts his podcast off, so I'm, I'm starting to steal his thing. And he says, so who are you and what do you do? And I love that because it kind of breaks the ice and gives us a little bit of a snapshot into you and, and what you're all about. So give us a, give us a quick rundown. Uh, quick rundown. I'm fourth-generation elevator uh, professional. Great-grandfather, grandfather was the president of the union. My father opened his first elevator company in 89, went under after it got into a real bad contract and uh, reorganized as Island Elevator in the late 90s. I joined the Army, came out in uh, 01, right before 9-11, cut my teeth with a big elevator company, and I was hired by my old man in 2005. In 05, we, uh, it was just me and him in a windowless office in Wine Danch, and we started to build the company from there. Today, we have 35 employees. We cover uh, only the Long Island region. We don't go into the five boroughs of the city or anything like that. Uh, we want to work and serve the community that, uh, that we live in. So um, that's who we are, or at least that's my background. And how I define myself is somebody that uh, I, I live by service. So I like to help to solve problems and I like to be there for people that need help. Uh, I like to provide opportunity. I am, um, I, I, I want to fancy myself as a, a facilitator for you, wherever you happen to be in life, uh, to be able to kind of help you get to where you want to be. And maybe that's in the elevator industry or maybe it's not, but if I can help you get to where you want to be, then that kind of brings me closer to why, what my purpose is. Man, that is, uh, that's a tremendous, um, gift that you're giving people. And it really is a gift because, uh, yeah, you, you can work on elevators and you got all that covered, but when you're able to really focus on the people and, you know, I hear you when you say how many employees you have and, when I think about that, it really comes down to families and you know that you've got mom, dad, the whole deal, you know, regardless of who's working for Island, you've got the whole, the whole pack, you know, you've got the soccer game and you got the Girl Scout, the Boy Scout, the Weeblos and the whatever that family unit is, or, or if it's just a single person that is active in the community, you've got the whole deal. You know, it's really hard to to put a bubble around that that employee because it's so much bigger than that. And it really sounds like you embrace that. I see uh, me personally, 
just kind of jump in there, Greg. We, uh, and I don't want to go too far into the rabbit hole, but we don't look at them as uh, our people as employees. We look at everybody as teammates. And in big red lettering on the whiteboard, when you walk into the office, it says that we don't work for Island Elevator. We work for each other. So what's most important to us is that we're helping each other uh, solve customers' problems and help each other try to get to the place that we want to be. But it's not an employer-employee relationship so much as it is that we've got uh, a group of people with a shared set of values that decided to come together and push forward this mission of becoming the most dominant elevator company to service Long Island exclusively. So we believe that this is just how we put things together. We start with the culture. And if you went ahead and put us in uh, a hot dog stand, if you kicked us out of the elevator industry and we have to sell hot dogs or insurance, we would do it the exact same way. Now, I get that. Uh, I, I feel the passion. And when I, when I look at the, the social media content that, that you put out and some of your folks put out, it, you, you feel that. You know, it's like it, it's not about, you know, a, a safety rating on an elevator. It's about caretaking. And caretaking that community, caretaking that building or whomever you're, you're looking after or, you know, your teammate. And uh, I think that's really strong. I, I've, I ran a business before I sold uh, to Service Logic where I work now about the same number of folks. We had probably at 40, 40 people uh, combined. And then, you know, if you, multi, if you do the math, you know, we're touching 120 lives or so every day. Uh, and that's always been super important. You know, I mean, I look behind you there and you've got the picture of the, what's like a football team. Um, that's real life. You know, like you, you may do something during the day to earn a living, but what are you doing with that living and how are you extending that through the community? I think it's super important. Um, it, the, the backgrounds of, of these videos are so telling about us. You know, we're able to see what each other you get a little glimpse, you know, and like if, if I turn that over there, that A on the wall, you know, that's a, a significant for my company. And, you know, I always have that that A in brand, uh, branded on my brain. And it's like my, uh, my rocket fuel, you know, it keeps me going of what I started and why we started it. And, you know, it lives in um, forever. I hope it lives forever or at least the attitude of serving. Well, I, I love the fact so I'm that you're being so nice to me. And it's really just a tribute to what a big phony I am right now. Because if you looked at my office, what you're going to see instead as I rotate around is madness, right? So I've got stuff over here and I've got stuff over there. And here I am all the way around the corner. So I actually picked the one corner that didn't have too much craziness going on. And I focused the camera that way just so that it wouldn't be a humongous distraction in the background. But uh, that that's that's what that's probably what it looks like inside my brain is uh, me trying to deal with what the problems are of the day, but at the same time trying to plan for what the future of the company looks like. And uh, it's definitely not easy. I don't envy anybody that chooses this life. They, they obviously on some level hate themselves. And um, I would uh, I, 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 I congratulate you on uh, making a sale. Hopefully, um, hopefully it was a big one. It, it turned out very nicely for a lot of people. So, um, you know, you, you just said something that really caught my attention. Uh, the, the future of Island Elevator, the future of your family, whatever you're thinking about as the future. In our corporate office, which is just a couple of hours north of me, of the interstate, um, there's this big mosaic piece of artwork that I was able to help contribute to. And as we're a mechanical contracting holding company, we have 47 companies around the country. They're all a little bit individual and unique. Some do big chiller work, some do residential, some do a combination. So we have this big picture hanging in the lobby uh, it's three-dimensional, and it's actual parts of air conditioners that are mounted onto this big board. And uh, I'll show I'll show it to you one day. But um, that that's what the inside of my brain looks like, just to to kind of pull that back together. But you know, you you said um, kind of future proofing. You're thinking about the future. 
I spend a lot of time there um, thinking about it, uh, what we're going to do next, because like we have 5,000 families, about 5,200 families that we touch as service logic. So if you run that math out, you know, we're, we're talking 12, 15,000 people uh, that we touch and always come back to the fact of like, if we know right now, like next Monday, what a air conditioning service technician's got to go do next Monday. That's easy. We've got the hardware, we've got the training, we've got the vehicles, all that crap's done for next week. But what does that look like in three years? What does that look like in four years? I try to spend time in that realm and think about what's next in that, how we're going to provide better service, provide more accurate service, provide a more, you know, not to be overly gushy, but more human experience. Because the further we go into technology, as far as the components that we're servicing and the apparatuses that we're taking care of, that human connection for me to Gabby, you know, if, if I'm in the, the fire protection business and I see that smoke detector hanging on her wall, how can I make sure that Yes, that's taken care of and she's protected. But how does she know that? You know, that human touch, I really feel like is going to be as as important in the future as it was in the past, because we're I think we're in this middle age where we kind of missed that. We, we went it was really hands on and then we went really automated. I really believe in my heart that we're going to go back to more human interaction to to support all the mechanized and all the automation. I don't, what do you, what do you guys think about that notion? I, I think that you are living in a dream world, Greg. Uh, yeah. I, there is no friggin' way that we're going back there. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to tool around with chat GPT, but AI uh, is the future. We don't, if we keep letting these eggheads continue to develop things without any type of ethical oversight, then basically humans are going to become obsolete very soon. You're going to be talking and chatting and buying things from people that you think are human, but they're actually not. They're just mocking it up based on experiences of other people that we've just kind of like pushed out into the world. I mean, the uh, the human experience now is about sharing. I mean, think about how much we've actually put out through our Facebook accounts. And all of that is going to get digested by AI that is going to process it faster. They're going to be smarter. And then once they start to test their their theories up against the environment, they're actually going to make better decisions than us. Uh, so I don't, I think that the human experience, as you described it, is an accurate prediction for where it goes, but I don't think it's actually going to be done by humans. I think that it's going to be done by what is going to be a uh, an artificial intelligence uh, interpretation of human behavior, and then it'll continue to learn from there quicker and uh, more easily than we ever could in a hundred lifetimes. Did you want to add anything to that, Gab? Uh, honestly, um, I am not one for attempting to predict the future, but I would I would say that I definitely would hope that it would not fully be automated. I think for me and you know a lot of people, that touch of human experience outside of you know the technology and things like that is really important. I think. Um, you know, for me, there's a lot of aspects of just like maintenance and mechanics and things like that, that I just do not fully understand whether it comes with my car or something in my apartment and things like that. So to have someone from maintenance come fix, you know, my sink or someone fix a problem in my car, whatever that problem may be, um, that aspect of them, you know, being honest with me and straightforward with me and being like, hey, you know, this is what the problem was and this is how we're going to fix it. You know, this is, you'll be good after that. Because that really, that not only just explanation, but, you know, the effort that they're putting in to show that, you know, I'm not just a customer to them and that they actually care that I have the knowledge of, you know, what they're fixing and what the problem is so that, you know, maybe in the future I can identify it myself 
from there on. And, you know, maybe it's not a crazy big deal. And I just had a light bulb that was out. So they were like, hey, your your light bulb's out. You know, if this happens again, just change it. And then moving forward, you know, I'm I can spend less money and change the light bulb myself instead of being like, whoa, what's wrong with my car? Um, and obviously that's a very small example. Um, but for a lot of people, that kind of technical knowledge and things like that is just not something that they have. You know, it's not possible to learn everything about every, you know, industry and every aspect of, you know, mechanics and then technology. And there's just a lot going on. And so to have those people who do know what they're talking about and have that human connection of them saying, hey, this is what's going on. Here's how we're going to help you because we care. I think that's really important. So I would hope that it doesn't completely go away. And I would hope that there's a level of it that does remain, especially in service industries. I think that you're, you're totally accurate. I mean, I'll study technology a lot. I'm, I'm, I think as for a 58-year-old air conditioning guy, I'm probably as technically savvy as I can be. And I do fully agree with everything that you said up to a point. Um, I I'm, I just feel like there's going to be a hybrid model to where Abby's going to be able, or Gabby, I'm sorry, I've got so many Abbies and Gabby's in my life, they all, they intermingle. Gabby's question, if it becomes a FAQ, is going to be an automated response. There's no doubt. She gets onto the website for the building and says, hey, this is what's going on. And she gets uh, Bob, the maintenance guy, picture up there, and he's talking her through it. No doubt that's going to go AI. AI is not going to come and move all the crap out from under her sink and replace the P-truck. That ain't going to happen in our lifetime. Eventually, I'm sure it will. So that interaction of how Bob, the maintenance dude, or Beth, the maintenance lady, got there totally believe that's technical and automated and no human action required. But when it comes down to replacing the PVC P-trap under her sink, that you got to move all the crap out of the way. And oh, by the way, this is inch and a quarter, supposed to be inch and a half. Those kind of things, I don't think we can fully automate. So I think that experience of getting to getting back to a human. So you go from a human problem through the automation process back to Beth, the maintenance lady, that goes back to human. And I don't know how you don't do that in, in an apartment, high-rise probably apartment setting uh, that she's in. But I love the the chat. I, I, I've talked for, for months and months about chat GPT, uh, the, the positives and the scary about it, because it's both for me. Um, I'm excited by it. Um, I'm also cautious about it. Um, so I think we're just in that age of... What the hell does that look like, you know, going forward? So I'm 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 thrilled that we're having this conversation because it's really, really germane to what's going to happen shortly and is happening tomorrow. I'll tell you what's going forward. The same thing that's been going forward in the duration of hu human innovative history. Uh, when we went ahead and got to the machine age, we needed less people to do that. When we got to the point where we were outsourcing um we we went from high cost labor to low cost labor what do you think the cost labor is going to be associated to ai generated uh production so there it's going to be divided it's going to divide the world into the have and the have nots and we're talking about where is the value going to be well your value is going to be in your skill set and your relationships so that's the only thing way that you're going to be able to differentiate yourself from the next person but low skill set stuff uh sorry gabby they're going to be able to go ahead and get somebody else to uh, edit videos and chop them together and fill in all of the uh, the necessary spots in order to make it most attractive to AI's version of what a human actually is. They're, all of the low tech stuff is going to eventually disappear, and only the uh, uh, and and it's only really for the most part it's going to hurt the underdeveloped nations that right now act as our manufacturing and service center to support um, business operations over here in the US. So um, it's it's disappointing, but if you wanna be able to prepare yourself for the future, then you need to start 
making sure that you have uh, a unique and marketable skill set that will that it, that cannot be at this point imitated by uh, artificial intelligence and continue to build out relationships because at a certain point it's going to become the humans versus the robots in a sense where uh do you want to buy from me gabby or do you want to buy from whatever this virtual reality thing is we would like to think that humans actually give a shit about each other but the the reality is is that uh we are humans in general have absolutely no problem exploiting other people in order to save money uh, otherwise we wouldn't have Walmart. So, uh, and if Walmart was able to put all of the mom and pop businesses out across the U S what do you think I, AI is going to do, uh, next to all of the offshore, uh, industry and administrative tasks that are currently being performed performed. So, um, we've already seen this happen before in the past. It's going to happen again in the future. The question is not, uh, if, but when. And when it happens, are you going to be prepared? So I think that's a great lead into the skilled trades, um, you know, because both of our careers have been made through skilled trades, uh, Chris and, and I, um, by working with tools, by understanding technology and how lifts work and how air conditioning work and all of that good stuff. Um you know, I, I I think back, Chris, on a picture that I saw in your uh, one of your feeds. I think it was LinkedIn, where one of your folks were out on a job, and the elevator pit was really nasty. You guys cleaned it up, put a coat of paint on the bottom. You know, made that look back like it should. How how do you feel like technology inter interacts with that kind of customer experience? How does that work? Is that an automatable thing or will that human piece still in your mind come into strong play when you're doing that type of service? How does that look in your mind? Right now, currently in the elevator industry, they do have automated assistance, robot assistance that they're practicing with overseas. It's uh, without the trade unions. Uh, maintaining an active presence here uh, in the U.S. and in the U.K., a lot of these jobs already, when you leave it up to big business, uh, they would have already gotten rid of the human element because they don't give a shit about humans unless humans can make them money. So the, um, the it's already in the work. So as far as, say, for example, when we take one of these elevator pits and clean it up and make it look like it should look, uh, Right now, we send two people out to do that job. In the future, as far as automated assistance are concerned, you could now you can send one person. And then the other person is hustling tools and paint and material back and forth to the elevator shaft and setting themselves up to uh, mock a barricade, uh, directing traffic. So as far as technology is concerned, the job won't be fully automated, but in the future, it will be partially automated. And then the question is, because we, we all have to be able to pivot in some way or another, if the jobs that were in the elevator industry are starting to evaporate, then where are the next jobs going to be? Well, until they can completely uh, automate and AI uh, direct the manufacturing of the robots and the maintenance of the robots, that's where the next uh, service sector is going to be. So we go from island elevator to island robotic service and repair. So we just got to be able to see what the future looks like and move parallel with it because they're not waiting for us and they're not asking our opinion. So it's either get get good or get the hell out of the way. Yeah, I, ju I just think about where some elevator pits are, where some elevator machine rooms are on the top of the stack. I think about where some chiller rooms are, boiler rooms are, air handler rooms. And I think about the human cognitive thinking that has to be done to get um, a, a rigging apparatus set up in a room for uh, replacing a motor. And I just struggle with the fact that we can automate uh, all of that 
especially the adaptability that you have to come when so let's say your robot is looking at a blueprint of that room and and it understands here's the support here's where i got to have structure not knowing that in 1969 somebody ran a 10x sprinkler riser through the middle of that area so now in the robot's bim brain he sees the beam going up for support he sees the rigging and all that how do how does that happen how do we like right now we know we would set up two rigs one on either side of the 10 inch beam how does that happen artificially you know do we have to train for that do we have to train the automation to understand what we just did to overcome that hurdle you know that's the kind of stuff that intrigues me um because i know we can plug in a you know a, a drawing of a mechanical room or elevator room and we can get a lot of data the robot itself can get a lot of data of how to do a lot of tasks but the egress and ingress are are the other things that i think about a lot too well it's again it's not going to happen overnight it's going to happen in stages and 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 a transitory time where again the first thing that goes is the assistant to the mechanic and then if we can get rid of the mechanic and the assistant or the helper then all we need is one supervisor to go out there and update ai to the the real-time uh uh job site conditions inform the 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 automation um robotics whatever it is to go ahead and take into account a b and c but at this point ai has already pulled every single building permit that has ever existed for this building in a 10 block radius they know exactly who the builder is all the violations that they had in the past what concrete was made of back in the 1960s you know, they it's already processed all of this information so if there's like some sort of field adjustments that need to be made or maybe they don't have the correct size robot in order to get into this space it's it's yes there's probably going to be a human element to kind of supervise and, and foreman in a sense over yeah. the uh, the robotics portion of the uh the the project the installation the repair whatever it happens to be at that time but uh it's going to it's going in that this is the first step to human obsolescence so it's going to go in that direction what you need to do is try to understand try to move with the times and see where your value comes in uh in order to be able to continue to you know guarantee yourself work going into the future what what are you guys seeing uh in your industry the elevator side on the number of new people coming into the trade or what you're able to recruit versus the number leaving are you severely upside down like most trades are yeah yeah we're definitely upside down uh we're in a limited fashion because we are a non-union company so we don't have access to union trade employees through their education program so we have to develop our own education program which we have we have a new york state uh um blessed uh from the department of labor and apprenticeship uh, sponsored program so we're we're working in order to try to keep our people up and moving forward but there is a more limited pool of people to go through and in the elevator industry specifically it's a long train up time so it's not like i can bring somebody in and say some of the uh the other lower skilled trades and um and make them and allow them to be more productive uh, as far as billable work is concerned, a elevator mechanic through training and on the job training, uh, book and learning training and on the job training could be four years before they become a an asset to your company. So uh, what you're talking about, not an, uh, well, not an asset to the company so much as they become, they, they generate uh, profit, they, they perform profit generating work. Yeah, so I get it everybody up until that point is in some stage of training right so i i got a little lost there i'm sorry did i answer your question yeah yeah because yeah. I, I mean our company we're half union half non-union across the country so depending on the geography i mean there's a whole lot of factors that go into why we are but uh as an acquirer of companies uh you know it's hard to be non-union in the heart of boston it's hard to be union uh, in in Montgomery, Alabama, or you know some some geographical deal. Um, it's amazing to me when I think about 
uh, I came through the Union Apprenticeship School myself. Um, we when, I, when I look back at that training opportunity with what they are, that same union, that local union is offering today versus what some of our non-union shops are offering, there's not a whole lot of difference. There really isn't. Our, our non-union uh, uh, trades have really stepped their game up because they're having to compete, obviously. And the unions are are struggling, just like the rest of us are, are recruiting and bringing in talent, you know, into the apprenticeship school. Um, so Gabby is at the age where, you know, we're trying to recruit. So you you mentioned it before we hit record, you know, video is is the way to connect with people right now. Um, what what. I guess I'm looking for your, if you have it, a special sauce of what you found is attractive for people for recruiting. How have, how have you had success recruiting people? Um, I, I would not on, on any level say that I have a special sauce. The, the only thing I have is how I feel about my industry and how I like to approach my responsibility to the people and service and so forth. And... People say that I'm a little intense, so a lot of that information and a lot of that energy kind of gets brought through what, uh, whether or not I'm posting or just talking to people conversationally, and they tend to relate to some of the things that I do say or, or feel, and they want to come in and they want to be a part of that. I think it helps the fact that I started from the bottom up, so it's easier for me to discuss what um it would take for somebody to be a successful elevator mechanic because i've already done that so the um as far as the social media is concerned what i do is i just kind of put out uh things that i believe strongly in mostly stuff that stays in line with our company values and i keep my messaging consistent and what i've found is that more people tend to reach out to me in order to find out whether or not uh, there's employment opportunities at Island Elevator or career opportunities at Island Elevator. And so I don't spend a lot of time recruiting per se, but to be fair, I, we're a smaller company. So the positions and slots that I'm filling in, it's uh, fewer from say, for example, somebody that's a 500 person or a thousand person company uh, going you know, coast to coast. What I could recommend to people is in stop, stop tooting your own friggin' horn and telling people about the shit that you only the shit that you want them to hear about your company, right? And stop talking about what you do and start talking about why you do it because the new generation doesn't really they're not married to any particular task or trade or or career. What they want is they want to be part of something. They want a sense of meaning. And um, they hopefully will save the world from itself, but that's they, they want to be able to play one, one role, whether it's small or not, in order to be a, because they, they kind of see life in a bigger, um, in a wider scope. They see the trees from the forest as opposed to us. Maybe we were a little bit more into survival mode. So it was like, listen, we got to get a paycheck. I don't care what you do to ask me to do it. I don't need any meaning. I just need to make sure that I can pay my bills. But the newer generation doesn't, um, for whatever reason, for the most part, does not share that wide, broad sense of urgency as high as they want to have a sense of purpose. So it's important to be able to connect to people on what your actual purpose is. Now, if your actual purpose as a company is to go out and make money, then you're going to have a tough time recruiting because it's it's empty, it's vapid. So what you've, you've got to be able to stand for something else. You have to be able to define what it is that you stand for. And then you have to be able to message behind that in order for people to relate to what it is that you're trying to accomplish. But it's not all about money. Yeah, I, I feel like that uh, this has been said a, a, a lot of times before, but if you do everything else, you make money. You know, if you do everything else right, the money kind of comes. And But back to your point about recruiting, um, you do recruit. You just don't call it that because you're showing examples of the quality of company that you own and operate. So I think that is the recruiting tool. We just don't call it that, you know. like Recruiting is a bit of a dirty word. 
recruiting is you know these these vultures that go out there and they they pick apart your resume and they find something that you know if i'm a recruiter i want to sell gabby to greg so that i can get my 15 percent of whatever gabby makes in the first year and whether or not gabby's successful or greg is successful i don't really give a crap i just want to take care of me so recruiters for the most part are just a bunch of blood suckers so I could I could give a crap less about them. So that's why I kind of don't want to be associated with that type of uh, activity. What I I would rather be associated to is marketing activities, messaging activities, um, you know, really trying to be a role model, trying to help people to understand why I do things. That makes me feel a little bit better about what I do. Yeah, I get that. Um, you know, I I get like the rest of the world. I get bombarded with people wanting to recruit for me like they don't even know my role or they wouldn't be calling me because i don't hire anybody yeah these donkeys with the with the stupid uh linkedin in mail messages listen it, it's chris gutkiss do me a favor don't send me any more of it i i got it hey chris i see that we have similar connections and i want to get to know more about your company why don't you take five minutes to click on the website link and scroll through a couple of my last posts and you'll have everything that you need to know but when as soon as you send that to me basically the message that i'm getting again we're back to messaging not recruiting the message that i'm getting is that i don't give a crap about you enough to actually do any research so I, I I totally feel what you're saying about it. everybody's got a solution. Everybody's going to help me out. Just just stop with the nonsense. I got rotting. The guy says, uh, "Who is in charge of cybersecurity at your company?" And I replied back very simply, "The CIO of the company." Yeah. And then within two minutes, no kidding, he says, "Do you happen to have his email handy?" <laughs> yeah, I but, do. I'm just not giving it to you. Ding dong. On the freaking website. I mean, yeah. our guy is on the website. If you really want to know about Service Logic, just go look at the damn thing. I don't even sit at the corporate office. I mean, that's how benign these brains are. They don't. They just, anyway, we could go on for forever about that. But drives me not marketing. It's lazy, and uh, and I don't like to be associated with laziness. So, yeah. uh, and the 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 biggest problem. It's a time waster for everybody involved. Most of that stuff's being generated by bots anyway. They, they're not wasting their own time. They're just wasting our time. Yeah. Well said. Well said. All right, Gabby, you heard all this, and, and Chris said a lot of stuff talking about your your uh, peer group. Is he accurate <laughs> with your thoughts, desires, you know, I mean, I even go to home ownership. You know, when I was when I was your age, the big thing for us was to buy your own home. Right. Home ownership is not on the top of many people's list or as many people's list as it used to be. Tell us a little bit about your brain, Gaff. Um, I think that there are some things that Chris said that I definitely agree with. Um, for me personally, I agree with you, Greg. I am nowhere near searching for home ownership with the way that you know the um buying homes and selling homes and everything it is just 10 times harder to purchase your first home right out of the gate um you know housing prices are going up and things like that so it's just more ideal to rent um i definitely would like to have a home someday but it's definitely not on my to-do list i would much rather rent for now um because it gives me more of a chance to be able to actually do things with my money outside of just kind of paying homeowner bills tell us about those things what are those things that take priority over homeownership uh, i think like i want to say really living my life i guess is really the biggest one i think that you know for me and a lot of my friends and other peers that I have and know that are in my general age group, it's really important for us to kind of have those life experiences outside of just working, um, you know, and I know in kind of Texas and certain areas, people get married very early on still and things like that, start families. I have a lot of peers I went to high school with who are 
already in that sector of their lives. But for the general population and most people that I know, that stuff is much more future focused. And, you know, for people in their early 20s like me, it's very much, well, that stuff we'll get to, you know, later on when we hit like our 30s kind of time. Um, And so it's much more about kind of having an experience with your life. And like Chris said, I agree with having a purpose. You know, I working for a company that has a goal outside of just making money is really important. I think there's a lot of aspects of, you know, the nation right now that are not particularly ideal for for many people. And, you know, knowing that you're working for a company that has a mission statement to do good and to do something meaningful is really important. And I think that, you know, being a company that doesn't have those aspects and doesn't have that outside goal is not appealing um, to most people within my generation. There obviously are certain circumstances where it is the same and, you know, they're looking for money to pay bills and things like that. But for me personally, I have been really fortunate. My parents have always been very supportive of me and of my choices and things like that, helping me kind of get on my feet after getting a job after college and things like that. So for me, that aspect of I need to get a job right away, I need to start working, making money, that wasn't quite as important to me as finding a company that I related to and that was doing something that not only I enjoyed, but something that kind of made an impact and had a difference on, you know, our clients and then our contributors like yourself, Greg, and things like that. Um, You know, we did summer of service at market scale where we went around with not just our clients, but, you know, the fire stations and things like that and did kind of different events and things throughout the whole summer to just help the community of Dallas out. And I thought that, you know, that was really powerful. And I started working in the summer as an intern. And seeing that was really one of the big things that I think made me really want to work for market scale, because it was just such a powerful thing that I was watching them do and then put their weekends out and, you know, go out and be a part of the community and do something that, you know, maybe didn't even involve the company. It just involved being decent people. And so that was definitely, for me, the biggest draw to the company itself was just knowing that outside of being a company, they're also being people. I think going forward, um, understanding how to discern what companies are telling us is going to be super important uh, because companies can tell you they do stuff like that and they can you know, artificially plant seeds that look like they do stuff like that. But are there really community serving and and teammate serving efforts that really happen? You know, because the proof's in the pudding. And yeah. if you get somewhere based on being sold a bill of goods and you keep waiting on this community event to happen, you're like, you know, what happened to our, our you know, day of going to read stories at, at you know, the children's center. Oh, well, we, you know, we did that a couple of years ago. So you, you just got to be uh, guardedly cautious about that kind of stuff and make sure that what we're being told is real, you know, like yeah. Chris has a, a lady that works with him that, that does some pretty unique posting about her life and what she's going through. That's real. You know, I could call yeah. her up and talk to her about her knee right now. I know that that's real and I know what she's done to get there. But if I look at, you know, a company, ABC or Procter Gamble or some crazy big company, are they really doing what they say they do? You know, and that's where I always like have to put that BS filter on to make sure that we're being delivered to what we're being promised, I think is one way of saying that. I think it really comes down to whether or not, you know, community uh, here at Island Elevator, we consider ourselves a mini community and uh, somebody like uh, Gabrielle comes in and says, you know, uh, I want to see what it feels like to work at Island Elevator. You're going to feel it uh, because her generation has seen her parents and her grandparents 
uh, toil away in a cubicle for 25 years, wondering why they didn't do this or why they didn't do that. And uh, not feeling like they use their life to the best of their given opportunities. So when you come in here, you have to feel like you're part of something. Otherwise, you don't feel like you're part of anything. Yeah. I wonder exactly when that changed. You know, I, I'm just sitting here thinking, Abby, uh, Gabby, God, I keep doing that. Um, <laughs> about, you know, like when I was your age. I did buy my first house um, when I was when I was 22, and that was a big thing for my generation. But I, as you go along, and, and my parents were really supportive too. They said, as soon as you get through school, get your ass out of my house. You know, that was my support mechanism. Right. So, you know, that was some compelling reason to buy a house uh, because I needed somewhere to live. But, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'm just wondering in our in our 20, 35-year age difference, whatever it is, um, where that, you know, where that line became much more blurred in, I need to buy a house, I want to buy a house, I don't need a house, I can rent, you know, until I get to that next step. I think that they, and correct me if I'm wrong, Gabrielle, I think that they saw what a drag the house was on uh, the your parents' quality of life. Because, you know, you want to take a vacation, but you got to fix the roof. You got to do this. You got to do that. Everything's you got to do. You got to do. You got to do. It's all about a heavy level of responsibility. So the new generation that comes out, they're looking at this and they're like, I don't want to do what I got to do. I want to do what I want to do. And having freedom of choice and movement, you know, in a very share economy, Uber, they're sharing cars, they're sharing rooms, they're renting, it's flexibility. It's, you know, understanding that people are a fickle we're, we're fickle. So it's what I want today is maybe not what I want five years from now. And I yeah. really just got to squeeze every drop of blood out of this rock that we call life. And I yeah. think that that's where they made their, you know, that's helped to inform the culture that they're kind of pushing forward. Yeah, I there I definitely agree with that. I think um, for me and, you know, I don't think homeownership was ever really an issue my parents but i do think that early on i mean my parents have been together since my mom was 17 so they've been together for quite a while now and so i think for them they planted roots very early on and i think that because they planted roots so early on there were aspects of life that they do feel that they missed out on um, and they did not have me at 17. My mom was 25 when she had me. So obviously they still waited some time to, you know, put kids into the mix. But they were living together very early on um, and started their lives together very early on, got their house, got married. And so I think the idea of kind of planting those roots so early when for me personally, I am still I mean, obviously, I love what I do at market scale, but there's also a lot of other areas in the world that hold interest to me. So will I be in kind of the marketing sector forever? Who knows? Chris said you better get something else going on, girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. It's nice to have that freedom and that flexibility of, you know, when you rent an apartment and you sign a year lease, you don't have to sell a house before you can pick up and move somewhere. Yeah, I believe that's part of it, too, is when my generation was, you were beaten in the head with you don't rent because it's a waste yeah. of money. And I think that partially drives the decision for a mortgage versus paying rent because right. I can hear my dad right now saying, you know, you're throwing money down the drain when you're rent because you never build equity. And so yeah. equity is, is like, I should have been named Greg Equity Crumpton because I heard that all my life. Uh, and I don't think that way. I really do. And yeah, but I think that's a, another generational transitional thing that it's not like that anymore. So, yeah. Well, I, I know that we could go on and on and on forever, but I know I got to be kind of cognizant of the clock and everyone's time. But, uh, Chris, I do want to, I think we owe a shout out to um, Josh Zolan for introducing us to each other. Josh 
and I have been uh, electronic friends for a number of years now. Uh, I love that guy. I think he's doing some remarkable stuff in his industry as well as for people in general. Uh, so uh, Blue is the New White is Josh's book. So if you guys ever want to read something really encouraging or listening to it uh, about the trades, a very good piece of piece of literature. Uh, and just a heck of a nice guy, too. So thank you, Josh, for uh, connecting us, for sure. And uh, Chris? Yeah, Josh, thanks for hijacking the last minute of my uh, podcast with uh, your plug on your book again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like that. He's like that. I didn't know. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Josh Zolan and Blue is a New White. <laughs> Everything sponsored by Josh. So. But... You know, uh, Chris, I really do. I, I, I love your insights and your passion for what you're doing up there, not just at Island, but, you know, making your uh, teammates feel like they are more than just a number, you know, and, and that that oozes out in your in your messaging and your branding. I'm not feeling like it. I'm not making them feel anything. I'm just labeling it what it is. They are more than a number. This company wouldn't be where it is without the people. I can't do all of the jobs that need to be done here. If I don't get their buy-in and and, and I don't earn their trust, then the, there is no company to speak of. So uh, they are not just a number. They are critical to our ability to be able to fulfill our mission. It, it comes through. It, it definitely comes through. I want to thank you for taking your Monday with us uh, and and spending an hour or so with us and talking about all the cool stuff that, you know, our world is really, really big right now. And there's a whole lot of crap going on in our world right now, domestically, worldwide, what have you. But I really believe that uh, the people-centric people, like I feel like the three of us are people-centric. We get the fact that we have to communicate, we have to connect. And, and we're kind of the synapse between all these weird things that are happening. Um, I just want to celebrate that and, and keep finding like-minded people that we can have these conversations. And you don't have to agree on everything. You don't have to wear the same color jersey every day. You know, whether you're Democrat, Republican, independent, skilled trades, white collar, I don't give a shit. Let's just talk about good people. And the more good people you have in the room, the better the conversation. So I want to say thank you to both of y'all for the great conversation today. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. So, Gabby, would you like to, uh, as I used to tell our old producer, Tyler, who has moved on to uh, another pasture, greener or browner, we don't know yet, but another pasture, Um I used to say, Tyler, take us to the barn. And he always knew that that meant to wrap this thing up. So being in the year in Texas, you want to take us to the barn, Gabby? Absolutely. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Straight Outta Crumpton. Make sure to go subscribe to the podcast for more episodes like this. You can subscribe through Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And be sure to check out all Greg Crumpton content on gregcrumpton.com. Oh,